This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. We are here with the Timeys, and we've got Asia, and we've got Junior. And I don't really know a whole lot about your story. I know high level, um, just you know the legendary pieces of uh, <laughs> that I've heard through. The legendary story. pieces. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. You might even have to replay. You know about those legendary pieces. <laughs> yes, yes. I want to start from the beginning, like where were you raised? What was your childhood like? What you know, teenage years? What was that like? Well, I, I was raised in um, Long Beach, California, and uh, I was born in 19, I was born in 81. So uh, growing up, uh, we, were, we lived on the east side of Long Beach. So anybody who knows the east side of Long Beach around the 80s, you know, it was, it was very gang infested, you know, but to work as an oil refiner. Yeah. And uh, he met my mom there, you know, and, and he met my mom in Long Beach and they had, uh, they had kids and that's how we were becoming born and raised in Long Beach, California. And so... Uh, growing up there, it was it was very rough, you know. Uh, it, it was all they could afford. We, we, you know, we weren't rich, so we came from a drug-infested, gang-infested uh, area where, uh, you know, it wasn't a place for kids to grow up. You know, it was very, very sad. You know, you you, <clears throat> you see everything on the streets, like literally out in front of you. Nowadays, they clean up the streets. People think that it's worse to hit, you know, now, but then it was in your face. You'd go outside and we grew up with my mom and my pops and uh what was your relationship with your parents like do you feel like they tried to you know they did their best but you know like i, I feel like you know um, looking back now it was a barrier you know like a, a a language barrier a culture barrier you know they came from the polynesian islands where in the village you know there's a lot of discipline in the village so if you discipline mean like you know they spank the kids a lot you know in a different type of way not how, how america looks views it as spanking, but you know, how they view it as, as do a lot of discipline, you know, but in Samoa, in the villages, when you discipline the kid and the kid runs out to the village, the village helps bring the kid back, you know, but here in the streets of Long Beach, California and Los Angeles, you beat your kid there and they run into the streets. There's no village to bring the street, you know, your kid back the streets, beat your kids alive, you know, mm -hmm. so you end up uh, turning to the streets and, and other places. And you, I, I think what, what it is is they thought they were doing their best, you know, but then a, a culture barrier, you know, you know, gambling is a big thing here and, and, and a lot of the uh, influences that America has that they don't have on the islands really, really took to them to the point where I'm not saying they neglected, but they, they spent a lot of time like in other places besides the home, but they expected you to be on your P's and Q's and like, you know, in the home, you weren't raising yourself, but at the same time, you were kind of like raising yourself, yeah. you know what I mean? Like. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, all, all the you know all the Samoans and the Polynesians that live in that time, they know exactly what I'm talking about. And so, yeah, and that that was basically our life, you know, just dealing with a lot of child abuse, you know. Um, and then shortly after that, about two years later, me and my younger brother joined the gang, which was actually enemies of my uh, their rivals with my sister and my brother's gang, you know, which a lot of my other family. I grew up in a family that was gang. And fasted like it was just it was just you, you just knew what you were gonna do when you grew up, unless you were good at sports or you know, you hear those scientists and those great tennis players they all come from the ghetto. Unless you're one of those talented people, you you're just the ones that are left behind that uh that don't have other any other talents you know, and so therefore the streets becomes your playground and yeah. your your talent 
you mm-hmm. know, and so, and so that's what happened, you know, so I grew up in the streets of Long Beach, you know, after my dad uh, got locked up, you know, um, and we didn't have a father figure. My mom could not, was, God bless her heart, man, she couldn't control us, you know. Um, believe it or not, I feel like, I never could admit it when I was young, but I felt like, like where, where's God at in all this, you know what I mean? Like, I always wondered about God, because, you know, I, 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 I think I knew I believed in him. I go to church and I look for answers because it was so chaotic in my household. You know, I, I even like at one point when I was nine or ten, and uh, and there was some dramatic drama going on in my household, and uh, abuse was going on very hectic at this time. And I just I put myself in the closet and I closed the door and I prayed. You know what I mean? And asked God, you know, like you know, if you if you take us out of this situation, me and my mom and my brothers and sisters, you know what I mean? Um, I'll give my life to you, you know, but. You know, we, we learn as we grow up, you know, it's, it's it's not in our time. You know, we have to go through the things we have to go through to learn these things. And you don't understand until you live life and help people out and you see. So as a young age, you know, I've always had them on my mind, even though I went through stuff and did bad stuff. It's funny because as a youngster, when I did bad stuff, as I got away with it, the first thing I think about is, you know, dang, how, how was that guy I just robbed, you know? That other guy just dropped off at the freeway after we jacked his car. You know, I'd all, my heart would all go with instantly to regret. And I don't know if any other people who were in gangs felt that way, but I know I've always did. And I know that anybody who are in gangs that are in the ghetto, if they had somebody take them and, and say, hey, look, I'll take you out of the ghetto, they'll take it in a second. You know, people think that uh, this life, you know, that we lived, you know, you know, like a lot of gangbangers in the 80s and 90s lived, you know, that you choose to live that. But. I tell you what, if I had I had a chance to get out of there, you know, I I, I would have took it. I, you know, I always tell my wife that, you know, you know how missionaries go on missions. Yeah. If I would, oh, if I would have knew that, I would have been in a heartbeat. I don't even know what this religion is, but <laughs> take me out of here. You know, so we grew up, you know, going in and out of juvenile hall, and then eventually to group homes because my mom couldn't control us, and the system saw that, you know, so took us away. We went to my auntie's, you know, for a little bit, and she. She she helped us. She helped us. God bless her heart. She just passed away last year. Last year, huh? mm-hmm. yeah. She helped us. She was like my second mom, you know. Uh, she helped us as much as she could to the point where, as we were getting older, we, I felt like we were catching on to how to be good. It's those weekend calls with mom, going to visit mom, and seeing the freedom that we had over there, as opposed to my auntie's house. So we literally just go. We, I, I ran away from the system and ended up back with my mom, you know, just illegally into and didn't get caught until I was just too old enough for the system not to, like they couldn't, there's nothing they could do for me. I was a ward of the state, so if anything happens to me, you know, it's prison or juvenile hall, you know, no more group home handouts, you know, no more helping me out, you know, and so, and that's when I met my wife. How old were you at that time? When I met my wife? Yeah. I, I met my wife, I think it was uh, 15, 97, I, I just turned 16. And the, and how did you guys meet? <laughs> we met, um, it's, this is uh, weird. Now, in days, they'll call it weird, but her little sister went out with my little brother, mm-hmm. you know, and I asked her if she had any friends, you know, and I was single at the time, you know, and then, so one day we were going into a 7-Eleven, the only reason why kids go into 7-Eleven, and she was like, here, you know, she, she had her on the phone, and I didn't know the girl ran away, so I'm thinking, you know, like, oh, this is her homegirl, and I say hello, and it's her big sister, and the whole family's been looking for this little girl, and, you know, she's oh hanging out with us. She's like, what are you doing with my sister? Where was my sister at? Like, where are you guys holding her? I was like, what? And I dropped the phone, and I was like, I don't know who you put me on the phone with, but they're, uh, 
they're looking for you. you That's know. a memorable uh, first first meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Were you in Long Beach at this time? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so Gretchen told me a story of your interaction with the missionaries. Oh yeah. We got to hear that. This is during the time you know after uh, uh, I met my wife. Well, so um, well before my wife. Uh, I've always seen these guys in suits. You know what I'm saying? Uh, riding their bikes. You know. And well, I don't. I didn't really pay attention to tags, but I just knew they was in suits, and those those were some nice bikes. And, and you know, the block they took was our block, and uh, we were just well known for like nobody's gonna ride down our block without a brand new, with a brand new bike and just survive through it. A missionary rode by, and I just like um, I clipped him off his bike, and he fell, and I took the bike, and then uh, he said, "You can have it, bro." You know what I mean? And I grabbed him, said, "Give me your backpack," you know, and I opened up his backpack. All I seen was Jesus Christ on these blue books. And I was like, oh, snap. And he was like, you can have it. You know, can I share a message? This dude's scarred up. I don't know who he was. He was scarred up. He was like, you, you can have it. I, can I share a message with you? And I was like, oh, you church people. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 it's fine. You can have all that. Can I share a message with you? I was like, nah, I zipped it back. I was like, oh, my bad, man. I'm sorry, man. He's like, no, that's good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. You know, the other elder just took off. He didn't, you know, he didn't stop. But he was like, you can have all this if I can just share this message with you. I was like, no, nah, I ain't got no time for none of that, but I'm sorry, man. I know who you are now. Meaning, you know, like the next time I saw him, my my, my homeboys were like, hey, look. And I was like, oh, no, those are church people. You know, they were like, what? How do you know? I said, they're church people. You know, and so, <laughs> you know, they were always fine. They always waved at us, you know. At a certain time, they would go, you know, they would, they would ride down the block and, you know, we'd, we'd wave at them. And, uh, um, and that's just how it was, you know, like. It was never messed with ever then, ever since then, since I stayed on that block. So that was a blast from the past, the mission. Yeah. So what was um, what was your first encounter with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Well, my first encounter was I just got out of prison. I went to prison when I was 18. Prison on a crime I didn't commit. It was actually my brother that committed this crime. But, you know, the codes in the streets doesn't allow you to, uh, to say your innocence, you know, because, you know, it's the code of the streets, man, you know? So I ended up doing time when I got out. You figure I was 18. We move over here to Utah and, uh, and and before I got out, I heard about this, you know, Mormons and my celly, he was actually Tongan and he was telling me about the Mormons and their belief. And I was like, cause I was a Muslim at the time, you know? And I told him, I was like, you're not gonna convert me. You know, I freaking like soda. And uh, you know, and, and I don't know what you're talking about not watching TV on Sunday. She didn't never say none of this. It's just, I heard it from him because he, he grew up a member. And I was like, so I don't know what you're talking about. And then my wife just, she reassured me. She was like, I, I don't know what whoever's telling you. Just We're just here to just help you get better. That's the first thing you're trying to like, your future tripping, you know, just, just, just go step one step at a time. So we got to the house. I'm telling you this because this is my first night here in St. George. We sat down to eat. And we said, uh, my wife said to say a prayer to my daughter. She's my oldest daughter now. She has my, my grandson. <laughs> she was like, she was four years old. She asked her to say a prayer. Now, the prayers I'm used to, you know, is the prayers I'm used to. I've been to mostly, almost all the religions, you know. So I know prayers. There's prayers you memorize, and, and then there's prayers that uh, kids give, you know, little kitty prayers. And, and then there's prayers that the pastors give, very strong spiritual prayers, you know. And so what I was expecting from my daughter was uh, was just a little kitty prayer. So I closed my eyes, you know, and uh, I was waiting for it. And the first words that come out of my mouth was, Dear Heavenly Father, you know, as we bow our heads today, we are grateful for the 
bless the food. And I open my eyes and I'm looking at this little girl, dear heavenly father, you know, I, I never heard a kid say something like that and, and mean it so much. And it spiritually just, it, it just grabbed my soul. And I was like, and when I was looking at my daughter saying the prayer, I was amazed and my heart was, was I just couldn't breathe. And then I looked at my wife and she, she nodded her head at me smiling because she knows where my life comes from. As much as I wanted, I should have called upon him. I never did. You know, this little girl does it every day. You know, you know who knows how far it is. But I tell you, I'm gonna tell you a story later about my daughter. But when she said that prayer, and the prayer was done, we were eating, and I took a second to take it in, and I asked my uncle, "Say, where did she learn this prayer from?" She's like, "Oh, they teach it to him all the time at church. It's a church. What church? Because I knew, I just knew." Wherever taught her how to pray like that, wherever that place is, I need to go there. That's what my heart told me, you know what I'm saying? And she was like, um, <clears throat> it's the church. Uh, I said, the Mormon church? She's like, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was like, that's the church, man, you know? And you know what the funny thing is, is, is that something in me before I got out of prison just wanted me to be healthy. So I quit smoking just just on because I like to do, I did a lot of, you know, bodybuilding workout so I just quit smoking at the ending of my term for no reason just like because I wanted to and my for myself my reasons was I wanted to be a bodybuilder now that I look back on it the Lord had a plan for me you know because I was also sold up I moved sales from a talking dude and I was set up with this Christian guy who'd always talk about Christian stuff in prison it kind of got you know it kind of got, you know, kind of boring, the same old story, you know, but, but he was a faithful Christian. He went to church, you know, and he was in there. He was serving triple life, you know what I mean? You know, uh, he did some very crazy things, you know, but the way he believed in God, you know what I mean? Like the way every day when he woke up, you know, even though he wasn't, you know, a member, the way he believed in God just had me thinking, man, like I got hope when I get out because, uh, you know, when we all get out of prison, we, we're scared. We don't know what, what, what lies is, you know, beyond those those gates and so yeah that's how i ended up um i still remember my uh, first ward it was morningside fifth ward yeah what was your experience like going to church that that first time going to church did you feel like welcomed did you feel judged did you feel what what was all the oh man i was armageddon in there man i was like i judged everybody man (laughs) you know i judged everybody because of what i've heard you know I wasn't going to go to class. I was going to go see where my daughter was going to, you know what I mean? And it's funny because you look at it, it's the basics. And that's what the Lord wanted me to go. He didn't want to go to no Elder's Corner. He wanted me to go, go hang out with the little kids. So I took my daughter because I'm like, this is my daughter. I'm not going to leave her here, man. You know, like, I don't know what these people do to kids over here, you know? <laughs> but when I went in there, you know, uh, they sang this song. Like, it's my favorite song, you know, still to this day. It's the uh, Rainbow Song. I call it the Rainbow yeah. Song, yep. you know? And when I heard that song, I immediately told my kids to come in the room and sing that song to me, you know, again. And they sang it and they sang it and and uh, we all cried when they were singing it. They sang it to me and I just sat on the bed. I just, that's the song. And it took a couple of songs because they didn't know what I was talking about. And I was like, the rainbow song, you know, when I, when I heard that song and I was just in. The next Sunday I came in, I met I met a, a fellow uh, by the name of uh, uh, Nale Fakua. He was a Polynesian, but not of not of any type of Polynesian I've seen before. Because the only ones I've seen were gangbangers or OGs. You know, like you can feel the strength of Satan real, real strong when you get around him. This was a different Polynesian. I did not know this man in this ward, way out here in Utah, was from the same ghetto part of California, but uh, northern. 
he's from Northern California, Fresco, you know, so I didn't know that he knew, he knew automatically what I was just by looking at me and he knew exactly what he was going to do with me, you know. I mean, I'm talking, when I tell you this, I was in Elder's Quorum and I got, I, I just got out of prison and I think about two weeks later, I'm doing family home, I'm, I'm doing uh, family, what is that? Home visiting. Home visiting, oh. home visiting teaching, you yeah. know. And I didn't know what it was, but this man had me doing home teaching, you know. So I went home teaching with this brother. I forgot his name. It's been years, you know. And so this brother, and I, I hope he hears this, man, because uh, I forgot his name. I forgot your name, man, but I always remember you because this brother right here. So two years later, I'm driving. I'm out that water already. We're over here with your mom. I just let your mom and them. And I'm driving. And this cop just telling me. And then he pulls up and then he's like, he's like pulling up right behind me. And then I, and I was like, dang, I tried to slow down, but I can't because I'm going to hit his bumper. I was like, what am I doing? Going too fast, going too slow. What's going on? And he pulls up on the side of me. And he's like, what's up, brother timing? And I was like, oh my goodness, that was my home teaching companion. Like, all I was thinking was now they knew I did not like cops. <laughs> and he hooked him up with me. Like, I didn't never knew he was a cop, but, but like, like that for something that just didn't, you know, you know, um, I had a big, big, um, I know I'm all over, all over the place with my story, Absolutely. but I had a big hate trip towards cops, you know, for my brother being murdered. My brother was murdered and my cousin and my two cousins. So there was 12, 13 and 14 year olds, you know, killed in a car accident. So I just blamed a lot on the cops, you know, but meeting that guy right there that he gave me a whole, a whole outlook on cops and who they are. And, and my love for cops has just been like, you know, like, since I've been working with the youth, you know, and all that, you know, like I, I know that without the cops, there is no working with the youth. So right. we have to go hand in hand with them. So, right. yeah. Tell me a little bit about your baptism and oh. how, you know, what led to that and what that looked like. Okay. So I was taught by this big old, um, well, this big tall seven footer, they sent him, they sent two big tall seven footers to my house and I chased them away. That first time we met, I don't even know their names. You know what I mean? They just like, we didn't get to sit down much because what I did was like, I said, they're going to teach me about the Bible. I'm going to teach them about the Bible. Cause I, you know, I, I knew I was Muslim for six years, man. The whole time I stayed in prison, you know, not only that, you know, like, you know, I had experience in all the religions, you know, my mom was a Catholic. I grew up in a Protestant, you know, I, I, I went to church with the Baptists. I was in a, a assembly of God. You know what I mean? I mean, I tried it all, man. Mm -hmm. I tell you what. But, you know, God was with me through those whole times, you know. Matter of fact, uh, when I first watched The Life of Joseph Smith and I saw when he was young, he was always worried about his salvation, you know. Even though he was back in the horses in the hay days, you know, I just flipped the script and turned it into the ghetto. And I was like, bro, that's me right there, you know. Like through my whole experience since I was young, I was always worried about my salvation, you know. Just trying to get by, you know, off of what was around me, you know. So, you know, like. That's what really like caught my attention, you know, when I went to the visitors temple and they, I think they had the Joseph Smith movie on and that's just like, man, like he knows, you know, because God was always on my mind. You know, I just, you know, even though I went through, you know, the world and his tribulations, he, he never left my mind and he knows that. So fast forward, uh, it's in the next set of missionaries over and there was a, a missionary by the name of uh, Kapishka and other Christians and they uh, came and they would teach me. Uh, I would push, I would give a lot of pushback, you know, and I could tell other Kapishka was, you know, he was a little bit on his, his you know, on his um, seat, you know, like he was, I don't know if he was like getting, you know, like agitated with me, but like 
One thing he did, this man, you know, this young man, he's a young man now, and his father's one in the 70s now. So this young man right here, he, he, any question I had, and I'd always question him, he didn't have the question for it. But the next day, next time we teach, he come in with the answer. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you remember when you told me about this? Dang, he was on it, you know? You know, because I had another question, you know what I mean? But I wasn't ready for the answers, you know? Like, you know, I had a bunch of questions, but I wasn't ready for the answers. And, and, there, uh, and there were times where I would get frustrated yeah. with him. She'd be washing because, dishes, listening like. <laughs> because he would, it, it was like his, like, he was playing get back games with the new missionaries. So yeah. he came up with the most obnoxious questions that they can't answer. These 18-year-old kids, like. But one thing they did, though, they go back. Uh, well, and find Elder, out and come Elder, back. Elder, Elder Kapishka would go back and find some. Well, Elder Christiansen, he left in the middle of that. And Elder um, Liao from Brazil came. Picture this now, okay? Joseph Smith having that vision. You know, in America, who would know that a German and a Brazilian will be teaching a Samoan here in the United States? Uh, how far this comes, you know? Mm -hmm. And if that ain't real, I don't know. I don't know what else. I don't know how you can twist it and look at it and say it's crazy. Because look at how far it came. This, these are different countries coming together here in America. You know, nobody could predict that. Every hardness I brought, you know, he was just, you know, like more loving. He was just tripping out. You know, the tattoo guy is here listening every time. You know, I'd make them food, I'd feed them, and they know it's coming, you know, after the feeding, you know, we're going to go, you know, over here and battle scripturally, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But when Elder Liao came, it's his love, too, you know, it was, it was, it was Elder Kapishka's firm teaching. Firm teaching. Mm -hmm. He always, he never let go of a question. If he didn't have it then, he'd always go back, come back and show it to me. And it was Elder Liao's love, you know, his unconditional love, because I pushed the buttons, man. You know, and those two was a combo. Elder Christiansen, he did a lot too. And there was also an elder by the name of Elder Kapusi. He came right afterwards and, and he was he was great too. But so it was Elder Liao and Elder Kapishka. They were talking to me, you know, and so we went through the lessons and it got to this, it got to the part where uh, eternal families come. And they said, so we want to talk to you about eternal families. And then I started to get upset with them, you know, because, you know, like I said, I went to prison, you know, and uh, in prison, I lost my mother. She passed away while I was in prison. And I didn't know, you know, until I got out of prison, you know, I went to her grave and, and saw my mom. And I, before I left prison, before I knew my mom passed away, you know, I knew I was going to change. I knew I was going to make my mom proud. I knew I was going to make my mom proud. And I knew I wasn't going to do the things that, that I've been doing. I knew that already. This is the first time in a term from juvenile hall, you know, all the way up to prison. I didn't say nothing to nobody. You know, before I used to talk to my friends in prison and tell them, you know, how I'm going to change this is the first time I did it. I just act crazy all the way till I got out of prison. You know, guards thought I was crazy. They thought I was going to come in, but I knew. I knew exactly what I was going to do. You know, I knew that's the last time I come in there. But I just didn't know that God was going to be in my plan. And so I lost my mom. And then here's this guy telling me, you know, about eternal life. You know what I mean? You know, and how families can be together forever. You know, and that didn't make sense to me. You know, because, you know, my mom is gone. You know what I mean? Who, who, you, who are you? You little kid. You a little kid. You don't know nothing. You got your mom and your dad, man. You telling me that families can be together forever? And I told him, families can't be together forever. You mean to tell me you can, you can make my mom be with me forever? <laughs> you should have seen. That was about the first time I seen Kapishka lit up. You know what I mean? Because I'm mad. I'm almost crying. This is emotional for me. And this guy wants to smile finally, you know. But I didn't know what he had in store for me, but he had a message. He said, yes. I said, how? Tell me how, you know. 
and he started to proceed to tell me about uh, uh, the plan of salvation and about the temple work and about, you know, uh, how if we're worthy, we can do the work for the dead and, and we can have them still to us. And it's now, mind you, this was about three months into my lessons, you know, and I knew I wasn't going to get baptized. Once he was done off of that, I said, when are we going to get baptized? And they were shocked. They blinked. They, they were pulled back. They couldn't. They were like, what? Like, wait, wait, wait. I said, when are we going to get baptized? If what you're saying is true, that's what I want. You know, I, I want I want my mom to be back in my life because the life that I gave her wasn't fit for a mother that was, she was a good mother, you know? She didn't have all the, she may not did all the right steps, you know, when, when she was a mother, but she, we never went without, you know what I mean? We never went hungry, you know? She, she always looked out for us, even when she knew we were bad kids, you know? I wanted it back because, you know, I was living these, these years, these first days without my mom, knowing she's not on this earth, and it was it was hurting, you know. I didn't uh, get a chance to breathe. As soon as I asked them when we we're gonna get baptized, this is another thing that really confirmed to me about the church. You know, uh, they said to me they didn't rush a date. They said they said, "Okay, you ready to get baptized?" I was like, "Yeah, okay. What's the date?" Usually, any church they're just, just eager. Okay, we're going tomorrow. You know what I'm saying, take it to the river, dip it down. You know, but uh, they they're like, "Okay, before we set a date." You know, we want you to do this thing called the Moroni challenge. I was like, what is that? You know, they were like, well, we want you to get on your knees and pray and ask to see if this is, you know, the truest church. I was like, you guys just told me this is the truest church, man. <laughs> and I got to go ask, you know? And, <laughs> and they were like, no, we, no, we want you to find out for yourself. We can tell you anything. We tell you the sky is blue and yellow, you know, when you die, you know, but only you can find out. Only you want to give you that challenge. I said, so... If I pray and I don't feel nothing, can we still get baptized? It's like, just try it out, Brother Tiny, you know? And I'll tell you what, you know, when I when I said a prayer, it took me, I had a lot of stuff to do, you know, when they give me this challenge, you know? So my, my life wasn't like standing still, you know? But I did, I did every day. Because since being with them, I prayed before I went to sleep. I never did this my whole entire life in any religion. But I prayed before I went to sleep. I prayed before I got up, before I got up to go to work. Even when I was late, I prayed and for that morning prayer. And all these things made sense now. But in the life that I lived seemed so far away, you know. And uh, so praying to ask them about this was, was nothing to me. But what I didn't know was the challenge of, like, really asking, you know. You know, becoming like, that's what they say, like that little kid. Because when I was that little kid looking for God, if he would have shown himself, you know, like I'd have been ready. You know what I mean? But as I grew up as an adult, I don't think I'd have been ready for that type of, you know, interaction because I wasn't ready. I was doing the bad things, you know. But you have to become like a little child, so that meek, like a little child, so you can understand when you do have that feeling, that it's the feeling of confirming, you know, the warmness in the belly, you know. I don't know what it's called. I had shiverings, you know. The feeling I felt, I can never deny it, no matter what. Even through these days now, even now when the, they come out with new stuff, with new stuff on the internet, I go back and I say, but that feeling, you know, you, you can't take that away from me. I don't, I don't care what you say, you know. That feeling, you, nobody can take it away from me. Since being in a member of church, uh, my, my kids, some of my kids fell off, you know. They, uh, I wish I could say this was a, you know, a happy story, you know, that I get into church. And my family lives happy forever, you know, but this is real life. And in real life, you know, you have to go through, you know, like Joseph Smith being in the jail. You have to go through it. He's, the Lord told him, but if you endure it, 
in the end righteously. So right now, as we speak, I'm enduring it. The devil's working in my life so hard right now. With all the positives that's in my life, <clears throat> he concludes a lot of the negatives, you know. What I don't do is complain about the faith that I don't have. I complain, I hold on to the faith that I do have. And I hold on to it dearly because because not only of the feeling, you know, that I have, but you know, I know this church is true, you know. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've been through so much stuff that the worse it gets, I just endure it, you know, to the end righteously and I and I come out of it better as opposed to when I used to be in the ghetto and going through that stuff, you know. I it just felt like he was doing it all alone. While going through it, I I don't feel like I'm alone, you know. I mean, I'm I'm going through the blazes and I'm over here doing podcast interviews, you know what I mean? And I'm, I still feel good, you know. I still go to church. We're in the Tolman Ward now. And um, going back to where I was at, you know, I felt, I felt the spirit, you know. It took about three to four weeks. I wanted to get baptized fast, you know. But they just told me, you know, we can set it up. You can feel the spirit afterwards, you know. But then I started getting all nitpicky and stuff, you know, like back when I was on drugs. And I just wanted to do everything right. Everything has to be right, you know. And I eventually felt the spirit. And I told him, hey, brothers, I felt the spirit, man, let's do this, you know. And we did it, you know. We went and I got baptized. And when I got baptized, uh, you know, because you're looking for the next thing. What's the next thing to do? What's the next thing to do? And I don't think, you know, um, going through this process you know, you wanted to make it a process, you know, meaning like what's the next step as you're getting baptized? Because that's what happened to me. You know, I was always looking for progression, you know, you know, spirituality. I thought I felt, you know, but when I sit back and hear other people's baptisms, like I was like, I should have slowed my road. You know, I was trying to go fast, you know, because I did so much wrong that I was trying to do so much right. The first job they gave me was to serve the sacrament, you know, and I just went in on it. Like sacrament was my calling you know what i mean i got there before the church people got there turn on all the lights you know what i mean like i did this for like two straight years before we left that ward you know to the point where um the elders uh, young men's leader had to tell me we appreciate everything you do but this is for the young men so like, oh you're like, yeah because they can't beat you here they always try to beat you here but you're here and you're doing all of it and i was like oh they had to <laughs> they had to rip me away from there and i was like i almost heartbroken but then um they showed me that we have other calling. And so as I was getting, you know, lost in the colonies, Bishop Asso was like, I love what you're doing, man. So did you get the sit uh, in the temple? I was like, the temple? That's why I got it. I was like, no, how do you do that? He was like, brethren, you've been in part of the church for three years now. You ain't got sit in the temple? I was like, no. I, well, don't we got to wait longer? He was like, no. You should have been ready. I was like, okay, okay, let me, I went to go take the classes and everything. You know, so I took the classes with your mom, your mm -hmm. mother-in-law. We took the classes. I was just like trying to be perfect, you know? I was trying to be perfect, and here I am, trying to be perfect, right? And every year when it came up, they're like, you ready to go? I was like, nah, not yet, you know, not yet. The second year before we left, you know, when we moved to Santa Clara, Bishop Bassos told me something really, really important. And I hope he remembers me telling me this, because this, this helped me out a lot in the church, trying to be perfect. He's like, listen up. Why aren't you getting into the temple? I said, well, I didn't pay all of my tithing in like two months ago, you know, and he was like, he said, Brother Timing, if you're trying to be perfect to go to the temple, you know that temple will be empty, you know, if, if people were supposed to be 100% perfect. He said, like, just like this church, you know, if people were 100% perfect, if it was a, you know, if you had to be 100% perfect to be in this church, nobody would be in here. I said, oh, he said, yeah, so, um, 
don't procrastinate, man. You know, get your blessings. You know, and that made me, you know, calm down and slow down and stop being a perfectionist because I think that's what hinders our growth. You know what I mean? That, it stunts our growth. You know, when we sit there and try to make sure everything is right and everything, you know, as long as you're doing the best you can, you know, leave the rest to him, you know, and go and go and get your blessings, you know. Don't deny yourself for him. So we finally got decided to go to the temple. And um, before we went to the temple, I want to tell you the story. Now, my daughter, the prayer, right, she comes to me my first Christmas out. And she says, I, I, she said, I want a sister. And I was like, well, sweetie, you're going to have to pray for one. Because my mom was like, we're never going to have no more kids. <laughs> She's like, okay. Well, next December, guess what happened? She had a baby sister. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You wouldn't believe that, but that's that is wow. that is some serious stuff. So we're going to the temple. My daughter is just like, you know, like uh, she's a little baby. Now this girl, when she was little, she knew when the water and the bread came, she would shake. Like the whole church would hear her. She'd be like, she wanted the water, she wanted the bread, and like it, it, they everybody would feel the spirit so much. This girl, you know, like but they don't know, man. My daughter loves to eat. She can see food <laughs> a mile away. When she knew in the church for some reason, she wasn't even one yet, and she knew that when the bread and water is about to come after these kids stand up and do that, she starts shaking. You know, she can't wait to eat it, you know. So my daughter was a baby, and um, we're all there. But then he told me about uh, the feeling for that. Everything that I learned every Sunday, you know, I learned something great. And I asked her if she could escort me. Well, they love you. And she just, I know that that moment meant so much to her. Ask my mother what a different color, you know? <laughs> <laughs> for reals, you know. That's so awesome. Well, yeah. so tell me a little bit about what you guys are doing today. And um, I know we're kind of running out of time, but I want to hear what, you know, about your group home and what you guys do. And just, I know you've shared a lot of experiences that you've had, but, you know, when things get hard, when people leave the church that are close to you, like, how do you anchor your testimony? How do you, you know, are there experiences that you have? Obviously, you've shared a lot, but how do you anchor yourself to the gospel? When people close to me left the church, you, you first get that um, that feeling of upsetness, you know, like how you were getting let down when you were back in that life. When you live that bad life, you know, you can always say, oh, can't count on them can't count on them. So you automatically have that feeling. It comes to you, you know, but at the same time, you know, what I do is I just go back to the things that kept me rooted. You know, my son, he, he was born, he was born autistic. And a doctor said that he would be limited with a lot of things, you know, and that he need medication. He needs special, special education, you know, and all this and that. And, and my mom, my wife told me, you know, I told her, get medicine for the kid, you know, just before I was, I was in prison still. She didn't tell me this, but she trusted and leaned in on the Lord. And she just had her father, who's the ex-bishop, he, he gave him a blessing, you know. And that's all we left it with, a blessing and a kid with autis autism, you know. I mean, autistic. We didn't give him no medicine. This kid grew up very, it was very hard to raise him because I raised him normally. He didn't know he had autism until after he won his football state championship that he played on the football team, which the doctor said that he would never do. Even till this day, you know, how he lives his life, he it's normal, you know. Mm -hmm. You couldn't even tell he has autism until he, until he tells you. But um, he, he, he his, his health never faltered. His mentality never faltered. He said when he got baptized, he saw little angels. This is the kid when I got him out the thing and we wiped him down and I was in the thing with the, the stall with him, wiping him down. 
my son told me he saw four angels hovering over him and they were all all cheering you know i said son don't play with me man you know this is not a good time to play don't you can't tell lies in the church he said no daddy it was four of them and they were circling me as i went down and when i came back up they were cheering for me you know they were cheering for me daddy and father was happy for us those moments right there you can never take those moments out if the world stopped and ended and and the devil came crashing down on this earth i still believe you know these things you can't take from me you know and so we we have to draw upon our spirits you know our spiritual moments that we have to remind us why we're doing this members are going to fall off and it's going to be members of your family that you would never think you know your patriarchs or whoever it is they're going to fall off i'm going to tell you a quick story real quick yeah a, a missionary who was about to leave the church came and told me he said you know i can't understand this you know he's fresh off his mission and he, i think he was going to tell me a spiritual story but he told me a story about a man you know out there in california in a rich neighborhood a very wealthy man you know that none of the missionaries want to go visit because he on christmas day when they try to visit him he slams the door on him he used to be a state president and he opened the door and this missionary was a tall polynesian kid you know and he's just surprised to see somebody other than some white kids he let them in and he could tell the polynesian kid had a lot of questions on his mind as they were talking and they're happy, he was like, he asked, Polynesian kid asked the man, well, what happened? You're successful. You know what? You were a state president. Why did you leave the church? You know? And he said, I'll be back. And he went in. He went back and he went to go grab his um, patriarchal blessing. And he brought it out with the picture of his wife. He said, this is my wife. She had terminal cancer last year. And uh, she was going to die. But I knew it wasn't wrong. Because in my patriarchal blessing, it says that she will be with me, you know, the second coming of the Lord. And he sat there while his wife was dying and just held on to that piece of paper, you know, just, you know, this piece of paper is what I believe in, you know, nothing's going to, you know, she's going to make it through, you know. And he said, and she died, Junior. So, you know, what's that say about, what's that say about patriarchal blessings? As soon as I heard that, and I'm not trying to say I have vision, but bam, an explanation came, you know, you know, the devil, you know, has the power to bruise man's heels, regardless if it means to get through you with something that you believe in so greatly, you know, something physical, you know, the Lord said there's no idols before him, anything, you know, that you, you put precious before him, even your family members, you know what I mean? That is a sin, you know, he's supposed to be the number one man to love, you know? But he loves families all forever. They're important to him. But you put him above all that, and he will bless your families. And so that's, you know, mm -hmm. one of the reasons why, you know, like receiving, I feel like, revelations, you know, yep. receiving um, uh, explanations of why this and that, I'm good with it. And if anybody asks me about it, I always tell them my experience. Mm -hmm. You know, how could you because of the blacks? I even had a revelation of that because I almost left the church, but I did. That's for another story because we don't have a lot of time left. <laughs> But, you know, trust and believe I had a revelation on that, you know, and, and I came home and I was so happy. My wife was happy. I explained it to my kids and they were happy, you know, but um, with our friends about the group home. Oh, yeah. The Moyais, um, we teamed up with them and opened a St. program George out here, uh, St. George Chapter. They have a few homes out there um, Salt Lake. in Salt Lake area. The same goal is to help to help struggling teens and um, and in return, it helps us on a daily basis. Yeah. 
it's a great reminder that we have a purpose here on earth. And our, and, and our different approach from other programs is this approach is squarely on, you know, um, we're treating these kids like children of God. We're not treating them like, you know, mm -hmm. how do you say, uh, criminals or, uh, or specimens or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. clients or whatever yeah. you call them, you know, you know, they're, they're, we introduce them to people as our nephews. We're all family. We're all family in the eyes of God. So, mm -hmm. you know, these guys, you know, we give them the same love we give our kids. You know what I mean? You know, and I would cheat them. And, and me and my wife, we've always had kids in and out of our house, you know, mm -hmm. always. You know, whether I didn't like it a yeah. lot of times. And whether they whether they, you know, succeeded or not, we were they were in there, we went through the gridlock with them, you know, and, and they left, you know, and, and they're living their lives, you know, most of them. They did a good job, you know. And so when this opportunity came, it was no doubt, you know. Yep. They said like doing the same thing in our house, but we're actually doing it legal now, helping people out, you know, mm -hmm. legally, you know, and so so awesome. Yeah. Well, you guys are amazing and thank you so much for sharing your story with us. The spirit has been so strong here and I just appreciate you so much and your testimony. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for the opportunity. Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, there's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.